Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Music, and Spotify at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at 16mm Crew Podcast and on Instagram at 16mm Crew. Okay, so for our last episode of the year, we are talking about the Matrix Resurrections. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lord. Okay, so here's a synopsis. To find out if his reality is a physical or mental construct, Mr. Anderson, a.k.a. Neo, will have to choose to follow the White Rabbit once more. If he's learned anything, it's that choice, while an illusion, is still the only way out of or into the Matrix. Neo already knows what he has to do, but what he doesn't yet know is that the Matrix is stronger, more secure, and far more dangerous than ever before. This movie stars Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Priyanka Chopra, Jessica Henwick, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Jonathan Groff, Neil Patrick Harris, Jada Pinkett-Smith, and Christina Ricci, and it is directed by Lana Wachowski. Wachowski. Yes. So, um, yeah, this movie... <laughs> Talk to us about it, girl. How do you feel? It was a movie. It was it was something you paid for and you sat down and watched for about two hours. And then after that, you left. So in that regard, it was a movie. Mm. Yeah, it was a movie. That's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't even like, I don't know. I feel like this movie is bad, but it didn't need to be. Mm. That's my initial thoughts on it. <laughs> Do you have initial thoughts? Um, it it kind of does a lot, and while not doing a lot, it kind of spends a lot of time sitting on his high horse and spouting semi-consistent, you know, theology and theory on life and all that stuff. But then it also goes this whole meta side, it metasize and criticizes the whole industry It it's working in as far as, you know, entertainment industry, where they're talking about what people loved about the first movie was, was, you know, gunfights, bullet time and stuff like that, and they kind of, in the movie, poked fun at themselves, which is a cool thing. Um, I think Neo Morpheus point two, Yaya says, um, it's funny how they take your real life into fi- into a fiction fictionalized version of itself and water down the seriousness of it. Um, but yeah. It's a lot, I think, in this movie. Yeah. It's a lot, yeah. I mean, like, I remember watching The Matrix a while ago, and then I remember watching, like, maybe, yeah, I watched the second one, and then I watched, like, half of the third one, so I don't even know what happened in The Matrix Resolutions, is that what the last one was? I don't know. But it's very, it seems like, why did, one, why did you guys need to reboot this? Um, 
too. Um, if you wanted to reboot it, why don't you just have like different characters? Like, to try to continue the Neo Trinity um, situation, I don't know if that was necessary. Like, I just felt like, wasn't their story over? Like, why? I don't know. It just, it was confusing to me. It was super convoluted. Like, the plan, how everything was supposed to work out was just a lot of, it was just a lot. And I think the new girl bugs, Keanu, um, Carrie, and Yaya were like the only things that kind of held this thing together because honestly, everything else was just like, it didn't make any sense. And there was so many callbacks to the original film and it's just like, okay, like I know that film and that film was really good. So what are you doing new here? You know, it just didn't feel like there was a reason or a rhyme to actually do this movie. And if you wanted to do it, like you could have done it better, but it bar- it just felt like a cheap knockoff of a, like a really good original movie. And then like the action wasn't even that great. The CGI and the visual effects looked like it was stuck back in like 1999. I was like, so y'all just not gonna try and do anything different with this? Okay, like, I don't know. I don't know what they wanted to accomplish with this movie. I'm just so confused. Yeah. Um... Like, this movie does a lot. It, like, uh, I would say, um, you know, they did a good job of interweaving the whole Matrix world because it went beyond just the movies. It had comic books. It had video games. It had an anime thing. And they weave that all into this story, like, making those additional properties to the movie, the actual world that Neo now creates as a game designer and stuff like that. Um, I love those references to the bigger franchise as a whole. Um, but for the most part, yeah, the, you're right. The action was really lackluster, and you know, and I think they understood the fan reaction to this movie was not going to be bad. Making all those meta points in the beginning, as far as why people loved the first one, for they assumed this. For the, I didn't. I didn't really like it for the action. I like it for the the thought, like the existential stuff of it, like what makes you human and stuff like that. That's what I was into it for personally, but. Um, yeah, I think they understood a bit of why fans wouldn't like it. Once once directors start making references like that in the, their pictures, I kind of figure like, yeah, they know that they didn't they didn't really want to do this. And you can see when they're making jabs at like Warner Brothers and stuff. Like we just saw Space Jam, which is basically a, an advertisement of all of Warner Brothers stuff, and this seems to be the opposite of you know. Warner Brothers is rehashing, rehashing all their old IPs and not really creating anything new. So Warner Brothers is kind of cashing a check on nostalgia. And you can kind of see that this movie is part of that outcome. And you could clearly see in this movie that they didn't really want to make, Alana Rokasa didn't really want to make the movie in a way. But she decided to make the movie not as an action movie, but more as a love story. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. less, there's a lot less stuff talking about what makes life life, soul, the mind, there's like as that's devoid of it like it was in the first three. This is more focused on the love story. And I will say this is probably I ha- like in the first three, I think this is Carrie Carrie and Keanu. This is the first time I actually actually like, oh you guys are a believable couple. You know? Mm. Um I will say this was a better love story or ending what a love story than it was the last three Star Wars movies. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I, I'm still kind of figuring out, like, I guess the whole thing of love gives the strongest weapon and 
you know, I kind of saw the way they kept saying Neo isn't strong and only in his strength of being the one in the first movies was only because she believed in him. So it mm-hmm. wasn't that it wasn't that hard to figure out that eventually she was going to actually have the same powers as him, you know, because she was always a confident one. And so her power, when they jumped off to fly away, I, I made sense why her powers ticked in. But it was kind of a big stretch to say, hey, Neil, you've been the one, you know, the hero for the whole three movies. But now in this one, she now has those powers. So you're left wondering, where are all those powers the first for the first three movies, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And, I mean, I really liked that last shot when she was holding him. That looked really great. That was probably the best part of the movie. (laughs) I mean, I don't know, but like for me, I was just like, okay, the final 15 minutes, great. Everything else, yikes. Like I just, uh, it was just not good. And it's so funny because even when I was looking at interviews with the cast, all they were talking about was the original movie and how groundbreaking it was and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, great. We all know the Matrix was good. Like we all know that it was a great movie. That's why there's former movies after that. But, like, it's just, like, I don't know. I wish, my thing is, I just feel like they could have done so much more with it if anyone decided to really try. And I don't think that the people behind it were, like, trying to do anything new. Like, they introduced new characters, which is good. But it was also just, like, all of those characters were in service of Neo's stories. So it's, like... Y'all could have just, I mean, that whole world is a completely separate thing. And you could have done so much stuff with that. Like when they were looking, when they were in prison and stuff, like the the world seemed extremely expansive and like how things have changed over time and how they, they're like growing plants and food and stuff now. I'm like, okay, well, this world is interesting. Like, why don't we spend more time here and like develop some characters over here instead of trying to go like back and forth with the characters that we've already seen for like three other movies. It just seems like we could have done more here and it didn't actually need to be like so messy. Yeah. And like the, the time kind of makes no sense. I mean, apparently they rebuilt Neo and Trinity after the third one and they crashed up the, um, their vehicle or whatever and she dies and Neo kind of, you know, dies at the end of fighting Mr. Smith. But then they're like, oh, you've been in the computer for like 60 years. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the ages of, you know, these characters. That would put Jada's character at, like, 90 years old, almost. That would put uh, Priyanka Chopra, her character is, like, a five-year-old kid. So her character would have to be, like, 65 in this one. She don't look six, like, like you know, nope. those kind of things. Are really, like, I, I, I was kind of iffy on Yaya being the movie because everybody was like, oh, where's Lawrence Fishburne? But you got to realize, remembering The Matrix, it was action-heavy. It was a lot of action. And mm-hmm. Lawrence is old. Um, and I'm not going to take a shot at Yaya's betrayal because Yaya's betrayal is supposed to be an imitation of his, of um, Lawrence's, of, of Lawrence's Morpheus. So it kind of makes sense why I was kind of a little corny in a way because it wasn't, it's not actual Morpheus, it's Neo's interpretation of Morpheus. Even though he was a good mm-hmm. leader, he'd come off a little too idealistic and drop one liners, so it made sense. Um, I do like Jared Goff's, you know, version of Mr. Smith to any degree. I mean, because everybody knows Jared, uh, Jonathan Groff as his theater background and stuff like that, so he's used to delivering those kind of 
monologues as um thingy there. Oh, why am I forgetting his name now? Uh, Hugo Weaving. They're both good at living monologues, but I felt like Jonathan didn't get his chance to deliver those kind of epic monologues that Hugo Weaving got a chance. So he was mostly dropping just after, every time Jonathan would talk, it was like a regular conversation. And that's not what you really got from Mrs. Smith. Mrs. Smith would actually like make you think on some ideological stuff. Like my favorite line is this whole thing comparing humans to insects and roaches and parasites. Like that's a nice ass monologue. And we got none of that from Jonathan Groff's interpretation of Mrs. Smith, which, yeah. Yeah. And I was just thinking about him today. I was just like, he's such a good actor. Like, if y'all seen, if anyone's seen Mindhunter or if anyone watched Hamilton, like, he is so good. Like, he's a really talented actor. And they didn't give him anything to do for real in this movie. Like, the amount that he could have done, they really, and they did the same thing with Keanu. Like, Keanu's John Wick. Like, he is an action star. And they barely gave him anything except for going like this the entire time, just like pushing his hands at stuff. And it's just like, okay. Why are you like watering down people who can bring so much more and you're rebooting this movie? Like, come on. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't connect with me. Like, I can't, I don't know. I just can't get behind it. Like, and Yaya's interpretation was fine, but like, I also, I feel like if they would stop trying to call back to the original and just stick with something that was new, I would appreciate it a lot more. But because you're constantly reminding me that this is supposed to be Morpheus, who's played by a, de- a different actor who did a really amazing job in that role. It's just like, I don't know what you want me to do with this character now. Like I can be okay with maybe some of the corniness, but like, I'm not going to care really. Cause he's just a rehash of, a, of an older character. It's just so weird to me that they kept doing that and like, showing clips of the first movie and the and the other three movies, it was just like, yes, we understand. This is a reboot. Like, you don't have to shove it in our faces. Yeah. I wish they didn't yeah. do that. Like, they really ruined it with that for me. Like, they were showing, like, um, the first time they did the whole reboot, they were, like, they were redoing Trinity's fight on the rooftop. And, you know, Jessica Chadwick, her character, was like, this is not how it happens. This is, this is wrong. And then mm-hmm. from there, you continue showing clips of, you know... I did. I see. I liked when they did the flashback stuff with Neil's having his little mental breakdowns in the real world mm-hmm. Matrix version, where he's like wondering if he's going to, you know, have another breakdown and try and commit uh, suicide. Yeah, when he's when he's talking with Jonathan Groff's Mister Smith, when they're talking like that in the office, and he gets nervous, and you see him like panicking, and they do the whole all the Matrix flashbacks. Like talking about it's an interrogation, and we see a quick shot of him pushing a table in the first one, like. Those kind of stuff, that worked, but then you went, they went head too heavy handed. They had like the whole Mr. Smith, not Mr. Smith, the whole Morpheus, Morpheus Neo dialogue playing where they're giving him the pill to come back, and then other stuff. Like it was, yeah, a, a lot. It was I mean, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And Neil Patrick Harris, I'm sorry, he's just not intimidating. Like I was just not afraid of anything that he was gonna do. Like I was just like, okay, yeah, you're the bad guy, and <laughs> like I just didn't, I didn't care. I like the points that he was making. Like I still like that they added in that little like very social commentary. Like even if you give people a choice, they're still gonna choose safety over trying to like take risk and do something different and whatever. Like I like like I said, the last thirty minutes, I was into it. I'm just saying, like, Neil Patrick Harris as a villain, like, I just didn't buy it. 
Yeah, Sorry. I, 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 and I honestly wish they had just played Neil Patrick Harris as being the the um the therapist person. He he could have been the bad guy the whole time, and we would and like not reveal him actually being Neil's bad guy until like the third, the last movie, like they did the first time where you, you don't meet the architect until the last movie where Neil's trying to like he says, "Oh, you have to fight Mr. Smith, and we'll have peace," and blah 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 blah. Like have Neil Patrick Harris interact with him. You know, and then, you know, he's just gone. And then, slowly but surely, you have references to him, and then they reveal, like, Neil Patrick Harris is the main bad guy. Because you're right, Neil Patrick Harris is not really intimidating as a bad guy. Um, in this movie, seeing him, it reminded me of Girl Gone, when, um... She's, gone, she, girl, gone, girl. Gone, gone Girl, where he's the creepy, the creepy, like, boy, like creepy ex-boyfriend, and, mm. you know, and she only goes to him because she knows he, he loves him, or she he'll love her. And then at the end, she's like, oh my gosh, this is so annoying, I don't like it, and she kills him. It, it kind of reminded me of, like, that in a way. I didn't, like, he not, he's not, like, Neil Patrick Harris is not intimidating at all. Like, he has a theater background, but, like, the same impact Hugo even had with those monologues, I didn't get from, you know, Neil Patrick Harris. Like, the whole time I'm watching Neil Patrick Harris, I'm waiting for him to break out in song. Like, honestly. So. Yeah, and it's just like... Yeah, it just didn't work for me. That did not work for me at all. But I don't know. I feel like The Matrix was good and was so kind of like important in society. Like I was watching this movie in school. Like that's how big of an impact this movie made. But I think it's what you were saying about what it's saying about like existentialism and all of that other stuff. I feel like that was the core of it. And it was a really simple story when you boil down to it. Like it was a very simple of like making choices. Do we have control or don't we? Like it's big questions, but it was framed in a very simple way. And I think that as time has gone on, it's just become a lot more confusing and complex. And they're adding a whole bunch of other stuff because they want to make it, I don't know, interesting or whatever. But I feel like when you do big sci-fi stuff like this, like, the simpler, the better. Yeah. If you just air it down, it'll be good, you know? But when you try to add a whole bunch of other stuff to it and, like, just make it extra, 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 that's when you lose people. So that's why I'm kind of, like, upset about this movie because I'm just, like, you really didn't... It did, it did not need to be bad. Like, yeah. there was definitely a way for this to be a good, solid movie and a good reboot if you wanted to reboot it. Like, there's a way to do that. Didn't happen. They're they're like a lot of people like I did before kind of do reference this movie like as being as interrogating its legacy in a way or as franchise yeah. like like uh the last Jedi did with uh Ryan Johnson. The only difference is the last Jedi not didn't uh interrogate itself. It interrogated its whole its universe. Not the movie itself, not the genre itself, not the um the industry itself. Whereas Matrix Resurrections tries to interrogate all of that, and it kind of does it poorly in a way. It it it, it doesn't interrogate Matrix universe in a way. It it more so interrogates the Hollywood industry in a way. Mm. With them talking about you know we got to get that fourth movie out. What do people, what the fans like love about that? The whole focus marketing and focus testing testing thing. So in my opinion, it doesn't it doesn't meet the same. Or like I hold like the last Jedi is one of my favorite stars, but it's just for the fact that it was able to break down its own own world in a way and acts like like should Jedi exist should not. The Matrix doesn't do that 
at all. It, it mostly attacks the industry as a whole. It doesn't really... It doesn't self-reference itself as a movie or a world. It, it goes it goes too far meta into the real world, um, which some people don't want to hear because we know the industry is not perfect, but I know it, you know it, but the average person watching a movie is not going to understand those references of a focus meeting and a planning meeting and like we need buzzwords to push it out. Like, the average person is not going to care about that at all. And knowing this industry as industry, I was like, I'm bored by this. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't want to hear any of that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, um, so, yeah, that's all I got to say about it. Um, what are you rating it? Um, I'm going to rate it. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to rate it because it in reverse, it made, like, people looked at Matrix um revelations kind of poorly but after watching this i think everybody's like no the matrix revelations could have been worse and that, that's what we got right now um it, it 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 did a good job of making me want to watch the first three movies all over again to erase the taste of this movie um so in that regard a plus effort good job guys but as a as a whole entity by itself I'm gonna probably give this a six out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, the love story part of it, like that whole thing, like uh, um, Neo not being full power, you know, still struggling to, you know, do. I like, I like those kind of hero's journey kind of things where he's trying to regain his power and remember what he's fighting for. Uh, Jessica uh, uh, Hedrick thought she did a wonderful job. Um, it proves why she should have been the lead in um, Iron Fist. Um, so, did a wonderful job as, as her as Bug. Um, I love Yaya's, you know, parody of Morpheus. It was funny. The love story between Keanu and Carrie and Moss, those two was good. But outside of those aspects, and performance-wise, yeah, the movie's like, the movie's like a, a almost a 5.5 out of 10. All the other stuff, like, action was lackluster. Like, the story didn't draw me in. Neil Patrick Harris is a horrible villain. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna give it the same score. I'm giving it a five out of ten. Um, it wasn't obviously, but and it did actually make me want to watch the first one. And I remember watching the first one so much. So yeah, it did a good job on that for like nostalgia. But um, as its own story, it was not executed correctly. It was very all over the place, super convoluted. Um, I think everybody who was in it tried. Like, all the actors really tried to give their best. So for that reason alone, I think I can't give it, like, a zero. But I definitely think that the writers, producers, whoever was behind it, sorry, Lana, girl, but, like, yeah, it just wasn't, it just wasn't, it didn't hit, it didn't hit the way it needed to. And um, that's unfortunate. Hmm. But it is what it is. So (laughs) that's what I'm giving it. Well, just uh, well, it turns out Spider-Man No Way Home has now become um, Tony's top grossing pick of all time at the box office. It's on the verge of crossing the million dollar mark, which is the first in this pandemic era of films. Yeah, uh, it's on the verge of crossing one billion. Um, it earned about 17.1 million Christmas Eve to end Friday with a total of almost 
$405 million, and that beating out uh, 2017's Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle with uh, $4,404 million. Um, so yeah, good. Like right now, it's kind of finishing north, I think, so far of about $900 million worldwide. So, and that was that will be reported on this coming, uh, this uh about Sunday I think or this coming Sunday, so they're not sure. So, it's gonna be like the third movie or like the third of five I think that crossed that threshold. Of course, Avengers Endgame, uh, Avengers Infinity War, Star Wars: Force Awakens. So, good little run for Disney to have the latest million dollar films going on. Um, into numbers of course. Um. Uh, 1983, um, is basically, uh, another, uh, debuted at number 10. It's a movie about, uh, Cricket World Champions, debuted at 10. Um, Encanto by Disney dropped from 2, which is a big drop to 9. Um, mm -hmm. Licorice Pizza jumps up from 7, from 14 to 18, which is good, because like I said before, Licorice Pizza kind of, it debuted early in, like, uh, November to a smaller small theaters here and there and then it finally opened nationwide this past christmas so it's it's good it got that jump from eight to 14 from from 14 to eight that means a lot of people actually went on and saw that um michael b jordan's a uh, journal for jordan's that's debuted at seven west side story dropped from six uh, dropped from three to six uh american underdog uh debuted at five kingsman debuted at four matrix three uh debuted at three um sing two debuted at two and Spider-Man No Way Home holds the candle still at number one. Um, as far as the numbers for Matrix uh, Resurrection and American Underdog, their numbers are kind of estimated because they're mostly done a lot more. They have a lot more streaming numbers this past weekend. Uh, Kingsman is streaming as well, but I think these box office numbers are more correlated with in-theater purchases. Um, globally, though, um, Spider-Man No Way Home is now debuting almost universally across the world. Um, except for places like Japan, Norway, and um, Indonesia. Made, uh, uh, Kingsman is the number one movie there. Um, you have a local movie called Fireflies and the Sun playing in China. And Encanto is dominating in Sweden, Poland, Finland, and Belgium, and Austria, Philippines, Chile, and New Zealand. So it's a good little mix and match going globally. Uh, we'll hopefully see that probably will change as... I don't think the numbers for Spider-Man No Way Home is going to die down until like mid-January as it goes globally, and we'll probably see uh, the numbers for Kingsman to slightly pick up and hopefully compete in that way. So, yeah. That's it on the box office side. Okay. So, in sad news, um, Jean-Marc Vallée died um, at 58. He, I think he was believed to have a heart attack, and that was the cause of his death. He was the director for Dallas Buyers Club, Big Little Lies, and Shop Objects. So a lot of the Hollywood community is really mourning his death. Um, seems to be extremely unexpected. He seemed to be very fit. So it was, yeah, there are a lot of tributes are pouring in. Everyone from Reese Witherspoon to Laura Dern is really mourning the loss of him. Um, he has directed some really good stuff. And I think what's kind of the most important thing that I've taken from his um, career is that he really is, he was interested in putting women in the forefront of a lot of the stories that he was telling. So 
I thought that that was really great. So it's very sad. I mean, I didn't watch the second season of Big Little Lies, but the first season of Big Little Lies was great. So, um, yeah, it's very tragic. There have been a lot of loss lately, and I think he died on Christmas Day too, which is very awful. But mm. yeah, thoughts and prayers to his family and his loved ones. Um, moving on from that, um, the Critics' Choice Awards will be postponed due to COVID. Um, uh, so we were kind of talking about that earlier last week about these awards shows and how they readapt with um, um, COVID. Um, the Motion Picture Academy also postpones postpones their theater reopenings as well. Um, due to the onset of this Omicron variant. Um. So we'll see how that goes. I think the Academy Museum will still be open. I mean, I guess it's a museum. It's a public... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I apologize for being tired, everybody. Um, it's a public, like a library, I guess. So we'll see how that goes and how that'll affect um, the Governor's Awards. We have somebody set their new dates and everything like that. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, and then quickly in other news, the new trailer for the Batman with that um, focuses on Catwoman and Batman dropped. Very, listen, I mean, I'm already there. Like, I'm already going. Like, they don't have to do anything else. Like, I'm signed, sealed, delivered. I'll be in the theater. Like, I just can't wait for this movie. Yeah. And you can, I think um, they're saying the Wheel of Time had, like, the biggest audience premiere. Um I think streaming wise on Amazon, I think we had people said they had uh, 1.16 billion minutes of watch time. So it's like the most on um, for any original series on the platform since, Febu- since February of, of 2020. Um, and I'm surprised that, you know, the boys didn't hit those numbers, but apparently the boys didn't. And also, um, they've announced the release date or the premiere date for. Season three of Atlanta on FX. Um, it'll premiere March twenty fourth, with um, also streaming on Hulu the day after it airs on FX. So, yeah, which is well, it makes sense. FX is now Disney, so it just makes sense why it would um be on um Hulu. So yeah, and it's apparently the the whole season is filmed all in Europe during um Paperboy's giant European tour. So, yeah. That's what they were doing over there. Okay, I see. Um, All right, so it is the end of the year, and because that is so, we have to talk about our best and worst films of 2021. I think you should go first because you have the worst films. I don't. I don't have. Like, it's okay. So the thing with remembering the best films is when stuff is good, it's kind of hard to remember how to rate them. Oh, my stuff is bad. You kind of the, the bad sticks with you a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for me, my worst movies, my five worst movies of the year for me watching. It's not in any particular order, of course. And Night Shyamalan's old, mm-hmm. of course, of course. Watching this Matrix movie. Yep. Um, I'm going to say Beckett. Um, with John David Washington, I'm going to say Beckett. Um, of course, Cruella. I don't think Cruella should have existed. And, like, it... <laughs> and then there's Cruella 2, which irks me even more. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, The Little Things. 
with Denzel Washington and Jared Leto. Um, yeah, so those like the five movies that are like my worst films of this year. Of course, mm-hmm. of course, old was the worst. Like old, old is the worst, worst. But like the right. Matrix Resurrections, Beckett, Cruella, little things all fit in varying different degrees as far as why they're my personal worst films of the year. I forgot about the little things. I forgot that wasn't even a movie. So <laughs> that's crazy. Um, I don't really have the worst films, even though I do agree with this list. So we can, I agree with that. Um, but the best films that I saw this year, and just the, I guess the best media, first it's Dune. Dune was my most anticipated movie of 2021. And it's a movie that I've watched more than once and that I still can't stop thinking about. So Dune, French Dispatch is right up there. If They're like neck and neck tied together, two of the best films I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Coda, obviously. great film West Side Story so dope Luca the animated Pixar literally made me cry so yes that's up there Belfast very good film um and a very interesting viewing experience so I definitely remember that um The Green Knight is another film that even though it came out a little bit earlier this year I still remember Mm -hmm. and it's still in my head like those images are still very in my like prevalent in my head Judas and the Bat Messiah did come out this year, so I'm still putting it up there. I know it was last award season, yeah, <laughs> but it still came out this year, so I'm still putting it up there because it was so dope. And then um, for TV, it was low key. Low key was such a great show. I really, really enjoyed it. The Sex Lives of College Girls, still a great show. Love that show. And Scenes from a Marriage. I don't know how I feel about the overall show, but the performances were so good and the dialogue was written so well that, like, I guess I have to put it up there. But another film that I think is one of the... Do you think it's one of the best? I think it's a very good movie. It's a movie that I watched this weekend, which was Don't Look Up, mm-hmm. which was um, a movie. And... There's been so much discourse about this movie, and when I checked the reviews before I watched it, it was very mixed, which is very strange to me because I didn't think that it would be, but when I watched it, it was hilarious. Like, I actually, I was laughing so much. Jonah Hill is, like, the star of that movie. He was so funny, and so was Meryl Streep. Hilarious. Two two of the most, that, that, that was a dynamic duo right there, like, that Meryl and Jonah Yes, we love it. Um, everyone else was okay. They were fine. Like, the performances were good because obviously all the actors are good. And there were definitely some issues with it. But I think overall, I think the criticisms that I was hearing was like, oh, people thought it was too heavy-handed, too, like, in-your-face about the situation. And I'm like, yeah, but it's satire, so it's kind of supposed to do that. Like, And if you don't really understand that, then you're been like why are you watching the movie it's very confusing to me like what people expected out of it but it's a very what I like about it is that it's obviously very urgent and that Adam McKay and everyone who's involved in it is very serious about the issue of climate change and the climate crisis and like this movie kind of had to be made from their standpoint which you can tell like you can tell that it's there was an urgency behind making the film and I think everyone did a really good job. There was just one part of it that I didn't like, and it was 
the relationship that Leonardo DiCaprio has with Kate Blanchett. I just really thought that storyline was like a waste of time. And also Mark Rylance's character was so weird. Um, I didn't vibe with his character, but maybe I wasn't supposed to, so whatever. Um, and also the wigs. The wigs are so bad. The wigs are the worst part of that movie. Like, can wig, can, can hair, can the hair department like win like a Razzie or something? Because that was awful. Like, it was so terrible. And maybe it was supposed to be gross. Like, everyone's hair was just supposed to look a mess, but it just looked awful. And it really, that kind of took me off the movie. Mm-hmm. Like the wigs, <laughs> but everything also was really good. I kind of miss Adam's like document, like mockumentary style of filmmaking that he did in Vice and that he did in um, The Big Short. I kind of miss that a little bit in this one. But overall, I think the message is very clear about what they're trying to say, and I think their comment not only on government, the climate crisis, but also on media social media, um, journalism, all of that was so well observed and well um, executed in this version. So it was a good movie. Like, I don't know who's out there hating, but this movie is good. And it's, I think it warrants the uh, praise it's getting, so. I mean, I think it was the awkward area of it's kind of serious subject matter. And also, A, the we are kind of living in that time we should take it seriously and be knowing anima case uh comedy style those kind of things kind of you know mix it a bit i don't know i'm guessing but i don't know i feel like this situation of like people like denying science and stuff is absurd yeah. like the fact that you have the data in front of you and you're just refusing to believe it or do anything about it um, is ridiculous. And and so it's easy to make comedy about something that's kind of serious because it's. I feel like it's more easy to digest the fact that, yes, this is our life and it sucks. Why aren't people doing more about this? But you're able to, like, laugh at, like, the craziness of it. I, I, think, it's, I think it's more... I think it's because it hits closer to home kind of thing. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. I mean... But I think Adam's always been good at that because even if you look at like the big short, the financial crisis, mad people lost their jobs and their homes. Like that's a very serious thing. He didn't make it in like 2008 when it was happening, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I also think that because it was made in this time period, it does make it a lot more poignant. Like you can feel it deeper because it's like, wow, this is our life. Like we might all die <laughs> if we don't do something. Like, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think it was... I like movies that are very timely. And I feel like this is a very timely movie that everyone should see because it is that important. And so hopefully has some action come out of that, too. So, I thought it was great. That is my opinion. But, like, if other people don't, that's fine. But I liked it. And so with that, um, I think that's everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, no. So, what did you watch? That was the only movie you watched. Like, I, of course, you know, do the usual holiday thing of, you know, meet me in St. Louis. I don't know. It's not even a... It's a Christmas movie, but the whole premise of the movie is, like, 
it's about a year in a family like it's a it's a Judy Garland movie. It's like from nineteen forty four. I don't know why that's one of my me and my mom's things to watch during the holidays. That I watched um Eddie, I don't know, Jim Carrey's version of Christmas Carol. I mean, even my even my sister notices like yeah, like I even though it's animated, it's not as weird as like, Polar Express. You know, they're both yeah. animated like she was like yeah. Expects looks too real, where at least this movie they know we're animated, so we're gonna at least make people look funny and stuff like that. So we watched, we watched that. So, and I don't really usually watch Christmas holiday movies for some reason, this year we did. So, that's cute. Yeah, I watched Little Women because I guess that's a Christmas movie. I guess, is it? I don't know. Is that in, in the movie? That's like, so. that's like when people say Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Like, it is. Then Man. Okay, okay, then so Spider Man one with Tobey Maguire is a Thanksgiving movie then. Okay, then fine. Okay. And the last one is movie because Christmas Day. <laughs> and what about what about all the? Why? Okay, I have a question. What classifies a Christmas movie? So Christmas movie, it just Christmas just has to happen in the movie, or does the movie have to be set during Christmas? I think both. That's my opinion. My opinion is both. Like okay. Rent is a Christmas movie, it's a Halloween movie, it's um, a New Year's movie, <laughs> because all of those holidays take place in that movie. But yeah, I mean, like, Home Alone is obviously, like, a Christmas movie because it's about, like, being left at home during Christmas. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like if Christmas takes place in the movie, you can qualify it as a Christmas movie. So Harry Potter is a Christmas movie? I don't know. Huh? So Harry Potter is a Christmas movie? I think it is, actually. Because, like, when I look at the list for Christmas movies online, those movies are on there. So, like, I, I can't debate it because that's what someone else said. Someone else said that Harry Potter was over. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are not just my opinions. This is what I'm saying. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I need to join that bandwagon of watching any, any, any movie that mentions the word Christmas. Uh, okay, I'm almost no, I'll, I'll join it. In the movie, you just can't say it. Anyways, Christmas is over and we're moving on to New Year's. So we hope that you guys had a great Christmas. We hope that you had a great year. And if you didn't, we hope that like movies and whatever shows you were watching kind of helped smooth over the craziness that we're all still living in. I know it definitely helped me, and talking about movies was like a great relief. from like the insanity of this world. So um, thanks for hanging out with us and listening. Um, Make sure to check out all of our social media, support if you can. And we're gonna see you in the new year. Take a week off. Recharge and enjoy the new year. Come back the 10th, so. Not the 10th, we were gonna record the 10th. You guys will hear us during the week. (laughs) Yeah, there's that, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.